coming up. There's no reason for there to be serial killers or serial rapists anymore because we should be able to identify them much more quickly and have these cases never go cold in the first place. The fact that there was no forced entry in this case, the fact that there were handcuffs. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. For decades, Park Meadow Drive has been synonymous with the death of Mary Catherine Edwards. Anybody that knew anything about it, which was most of the people in the community, were enraged. There's been a major development in the case of a woman in Beaumont, Texas, who was murdered decades ago in 1995. And I'm joined by Jordan Williams, anchor at 12 News Now, KBMT in Beaumont, Texas. Jordan, before we get into what happened back in 1995, tell me about about Beaumont a little bit. You know, we're a heavy industrial town, um, a city of a little over 100,000, about an hour and a half east of Houston, very close to the Texas-Louisiana state line. Um, Our metro area has about 300,000 people in it. we have a, when I said a heavy industrial base, large number of petrochemical plants here. Um, that is our primary industry. Um, and um, the oil and gas industry and petrochemicals uh, shape a lot, of our, a lot of our stories and a lot of our families. So Jordan, let's go back to 1995. Tell me about this case and what we know happened to Mary Catherine Edwards. She was, by all accounts, a beloved elementary school teacher teaching at Price Elementary here in Beaumont, 31 years old. Um, She was last seen alive January 13th, 1995. And, And the story goes, all along, police felt like whoever, whoever hurt her and killed her, um, must have been a known entity because there were no signs that anyone broke into her townhouse. Um, As the story goes, her family couldn't find her, um, couldn't hear from her, hadn't heard from her, rather, and her father is the one who found her um, dead in a bathtub um, at her townhouse, and that was on January 14th of 1995. So uh, this gruesome scene, and then police eventually learned that she had been raped as well. Is that correct? Yeah. And so there was, there was, we've now learned suspects DNA found on her. Um, and also, um, as I understand it on her bed. Um, so on her body and also on her bed. So all along they had it, they had DNA. They just had, had no match. So there's no immediate indication. And in fact, uh, there, there's no sign of a, of a break in or anything. So where does the investigation go early on? As far as we know, well, from what we can tell, they they obviously started interviewing, you know, all of the known parties, right? Um, were there boyfriends? Were there colleagues from her school, fellow educators, you know, family, friends, that sort of thing? Um, the person who's now a suspect and charged was never on their radar back then. And we have that uh, definitively from our local district attorney, from police. And also uh, here in Texas, we have uh, an arm of the Texas Department of Public Safety known as the Texas Rangers, sort of a legendary uh, law enforcement entity in, in the state of Texas. And they got involved um, most recently, um, you know, in a high profile case like this. And this guy, who's now in jail, was never on their radar back then. As with so many cases we cover these days, this comes down to genetic genealogy and DNA. And so key to this case is the fact that they held on to that DNA and then preserved it all these years. And it's always, it just blows my mind when when this happens that 
they've held on to this evidence that then comes into play and possibly solves this murder so many years later. Right. And and the evidence, as you said, was not just preserved, but it was of high enough quality. Um, you know, and that, that that speaks to the the crime scene technicians who worked this scene 26 years ago. Um you know, I'm sure they never dreamed it would take this long to, to solve it. Or, if, you know, in some cases, I think many of them thought it may never be solved. 26 years ago, we couldn't do with DNA what we can do today. Wasn't possible. So the preservation of the DNA is what made this a successful investigation and allowed us to catch the real person that did it. Crime fighting and crime solving has changed. If we have DNA in a case, I'm convinced that we can solve those cases. You know, the victim, Mary Catherine Edwards, she was 31 at the time. She had a twin sister who was also a teacher. And um, the family has maintained an incredibly um, private profile at this point. Um, and since this news broke about two to three weeks ago that we first heard, yes, they've got a suspect, he's out of state. Um, and then the whole picture started emerging of of who her accused killer was. But um, certainly by all accounts, a well-known family here in Beaumont. Um, and the teacher, the sister, um, is a teacher and is still an educator at one of our uh, private schools here in town. And having uh, this DNA and then honing in on this suspect, they are able then to to actually go and find him. He's still alive and living a relatively normal life. Tell us what we know about him. So he is now 61 years old. Um, he was living, his name is Clayton Bernard Foreman. Uh, he was living in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, a suburb of, of Columbus. So as uh, investigators have told us, this is how it played out. You had the Texas Rangers. I talked about them a minute ago. The Texas Rangers involved um, and, a, and a relatively new Ranger uh, to the case a guy by the name of, of Brandon Bess. He was um, brought in and with sort of the, the the blessing of our local authorities here in Beaumont and Jefferson County, Texas, he started really working this genetic genealogy um, and looking through the database. And uh, it's fascinating. Prosecutors say the DNA that they took from from the victim, Mary Catherine Edwards' body, was added to the database. Last year sometime, they started comparing it with DNA from those, those family tree websites I mentioned. Um, and you, you said it's two of the databases are, are you know public for law enforcement. Um, and that uh, really just unleashed a floodgate. Um, according to the probable cause affidavit, um, they were able to um, track down um, distant cousins of, of the suspect, Clayton Foreman, um, and then they ended up getting, as I, as I recall, something like 30 um, voluntary DNA submissions from distant relatives of his. They started creating this family tree, and then they zeroed in on him. And based on the DNA connections, they, they felt like the suspect was either Clayton Foreman or his brother. That's when they realized Clayton Foreman um, was certainly the more probable of the suspects because he had a 1981 conviction in a rape case here in Texas. What happens next? They they are able to go pick him up after after they check his trash out, right? Oh yes, the trash comes into play, and I you know I think that's so fascinating for those of us kind of watching from the outside how this played out. Um, you know, so they obviously felt that he was their guy, but um, they took samples from his trash can, which apparently is legal to do. Uh, this would be trash on the curb, presumably outside his house in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Um, and as I understand that this this is all played out in the last 
two to two and a half weeks. Um, probably you're talking maybe a month ago, early, early to mid April. And, you know, and, and he was um, then arrested, you know, just two weeks later. As they assumed, I believe early on, uh, he in fact knew the victim. They knew each other. My goodness, this, this we we all got chills when we heard this. Our our local district attorney confirms that she was in his wedding, so she would have been presumably the victim here, Mary Catherine Edwards, friends with Clayton Foreman's first wife. Right, she was one of one of their bridesmaids. We always suspected that it would be someone that was known to the family, but we would have never thought that it would be a person. You never think it's going to be a person that's in your wedding. Yeah, absolutely chilling. So, and I believe they were classmates in school, and maybe that's how they met each other. Couple of grades apart. Um, he graduated in 1978. She was class of 1981 at a high school that is no longer around here. It's merged into one of our our larger campuses. But yeah, so a couple of years apart. I haven't heard from anyone who officially says yes, they they were friends or acquaintances. But you have to figure out. Um, and we'll kind of piece together what we know about Clayton Foreman between the 1981 rape case and the 1995 killing of this of this teacher, because there's certainly some some holes in in you know what we know about him and what he was up to. But suffice it to say, um, he got married. I'll give you a couple of details. Clayton Foreman got married. This is public here in Texas um, in the early 80s. And got divorced in 1993, two years before the the teacher murder. One of the things that sticks out for me is, you know, assuming police are right, assuming the DNA is is you know this this perfect match, and that Clayton Foreman was this teacher's killer. You know, what played out that night? How how did it go at, at the at the crime scene? Um, did she know him well enough to open the door? Presumably, yes, that's what police would say. Right, that makes sense that she would have, there's no sign of a break-in, so she lets him in and this terrible murder takes place. Right, right. You know, but we have no info about whether he had been in her life at all since 1980, you know, early 80s when he first got married. So at any rate, decades later, here he is in Ohio living this normal life, and I guess he gets a knock on the door. Don't know a ton about how he was taken into custody other than they said, you know, that he cooperated at the time. He's not being super cooperative with them right now. You may have um, read some of the reports. He appears to be, and I and I use that term loosely, appears to be fighting extradition to Texas. There was a hearing um, last week that, as we understand it from the folks at the jail up there uh, and the sheriff's office in Franklin County, Ohio, he apparently refused to go to his hearing. So that hearing has now been rescheduled for early June, um, you know, and our our legal experts down here, you know, and I think most of the people that you would probably talk to, Will, would say he's postponing the inevitable, fighting the inevitable, but it's just, you know, a, a delay tactic that, um, that he appears to be using. This story is, as I said earlier, similar to other cases where we, we've seen so many lately that are solved by DNA evidence and gene- genetic genealogy, but this one, again, just has that extra creepy factor of of the fact that he knew her and there's this you know wedding and the involvement there it's uh it's a surprising case yeah let's let, if you will let's talk a little bit about the 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 old the rape case that was you know sort of in the in the back of everyone's mind as they started investigating this once they found um the apparent dna match um 
that goes back to 1981. And the information is that that 1981 rape and the rape and murder of Mary Catherine Edwards in 1995 had a lot of similarities. Um, Foreman pled guilty to the 1981 rape. And in that case, police said he gave the victim a ride home after he found her stranded at a gas station. Police say Foreman, and I'm, I'm quoting here from their probable cause affidavit, that he bound her hands behind her back with a belt and held a knife to her throat before um, before sexually assaulting her. And th- there are a lot of similarities, um, according to police, between the, the 81 case and the 1995 murder. The use of handcuffs and police gear. Police say in the 1981 rape, Foreman claimed he was a police officer and that he used police tools um, during Edwards' murder. So handcuffs being you know, a significant part of, of that investigation. Did he do time for that uh, case back in 1981? It would appear no. It would appear no. And what do we know about this suspect over the years, if anything, uh, since 1995 to today? Well, public records show he sort of moved between Beaumont and the Houston area. You know, as I mentioned, they're uh, about 90 miles to our west here. Um, at some point, he ended up in Ohio. And, you know, I've started visiting with some of his former classmates from from high school, and apparently he has been instrumental, that's their words, um, in in organizing their high school reunions. And um, many who didn't even know him, remember him from back in the day, remember him from these high school reunions. And he was here, according to people I've spoken with, as recently as the summer of 18, you know, planning a huge a huge reunion. I mean, he was, uh, they know him as Clay Foreman and he was super involved, it would seem, um, in high school reunions. So to me, that's especially chilling to think, you know, I had lived under the radar, um, all these years, thousands of miles away. What is he? 2000 miles from Beaumont, something like that. And to think he was willing to come back, um, not to the crime scene per se, but to the city where this this chilling crime happened that police would say he was involved in in 95. It just, you know, it seems so nervy. You mentioned the family not saying a lot, but there must be some degree of relief thinking that this case could be solved and, and there's some answers for for Mary Catherine Edwards. I think a many, I think at this point, many of them were, uh, and I've spoken with family friends, many of them were were shocked to hear at, of, of this DNA match uh, after all these years. Just just shocked. Um, and as I said, they are sticking to themselves at this point. We have respected their privacy um, because obviously this is going to be a long road ahead of them as they look at a, a you know, whether it's a plea or a, or a trial. Uh, even the extradition process is, is drawn out at this point. All right, Jordan. Well, we'll keep an eye on this case. Please keep us updated on developments uh, down the road. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday with new episodes Monday through Friday. We also have a weekly show covering cases around the country, True Crime Chronicles. Check it out today wherever you listen to podcasts. That's True Crime Chronicles. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. 